You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and I'm joined today by Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan as we discuss uh, what the Giants did in free agency and how that will impact the the upcoming 2021 NFL Draft. Em, how you doing, bud? I'm doing fine, Ed. As always, a pleasure to join the show. All right. So, hey, I, I want to start with this. Lately at Big Blue View, we've been doing what we call a round table. And, you know, I've been asking Big Blue View contributors a, a draft related question every week and, and, you know, asking them to, to weigh in on their thoughts. This week's question is in regards to the Giants at number 11 and the idea of whether or not they should still consider taking a wide receiver at 11, even though they went out and signed, you know, Kenny Galladay and, and to a, a lesser extent, you know, added John Ross for depth. So I'm going to ask you to weigh in right there. If you're the Giants at 11 with what they've done in free agency, do you still consider wide receiver, you know, if you're staring at a board that might include Devontae Smith and, and, and Jalen Waddle? You know, that's a good question, and, and I can see why you would pose it. You know, people got excited about John Ross, the idea of John Ross, but the reality of John Ross is that we hadn't seen a full-fledged John Ross in, you know, uh, quite some time, you know, you know and, and that's the thing. And so because of health, and so you really want to know if John Ross can be healthy, so you can't count on him. Uh then you look at guys that kind of played last year and, and Pettis and, and Mac, um, and you kind of see those as more of depth guys. So yes, you can still look at wide receiver as a potential, you know, uh, need on this team. And whether you're looking at a speed guy, obviously you want guys that, that can really be considered threats. So you, you look at, like you said, Smith, Waddle, um, if someone like, you know, uh, Jamar Chase is still there. Yeah, absolutely. You pull the trigger on those guys because again, you don't know which John Ross you're going to get. And the John Ross we've seen from Washington all the way through Cincinnati has been one that has been injured a lot. So you can't really count on him. Pettis had brief stints of, of, you know, positive play, uh, last year. And, you know, I think you could still look at that position. Um, and, and get a little bit better, especially Kenny Galladay coming off of that hip injury. You don't know how healthy he is or, you know, if he has to work himself back into 
what we saw from him two years ago. So, yeah, having a rookie there, a dynamic rookie, kind of helps you out. You know, and the other thing that, that I look at at the wide receiver position is Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me how old he is. I think he's maybe 28, 29. You know, he's had some concussion history, some injury history. It seems like every year he manages to miss four or five games. He's got three years left on his Giants contract. I look at Shep, and I, and I really like the player. I really like the person. But I don't see him finishing the last three years of his contract with the Giants. And, and you know, for me, that might be another reason why, you know, if a Jalen Waddle or a Devonta Smith is there, you know, why you might uh, you might be willing to to go with one of those guys. Um, you know, you have any thoughts on on Shep at, at this point in his career? He's kind of what he is, you know, possession guy, slot guy, uh, a chain mover, someone that you can depend on. Not overly dynamic, but he seems to step up in big parts of the game when you need him to. Still with a little injury issue throughout his career, uh, concussions mainly. So if you're looking honest, if we're being completely honest, uh, places that can, that can probably stand to be upgraded, uh, or, or you look to get better at you, you know, Sterling Shepard is solid, consistent. That's good, but you can probably upgrade there. Uh, Slayton, as good as he's been, you know, he's probably more of a glorified number two or three, uh, within his offense. So you could probably get better there. Galladay is your bona fide X, uh, but you don't know how healthy he is, uh, coming off the hip injury, but you assume that he's going to be a hundred percent, right? So, that's your that's your your number one. Slayton and Shepard kind of could be each your number two, but if you have a chance to snag a bona fide co number one, you do that. Uh, but to your point about Shepard, you know, Shepard is someone you he's the Giants version of Jamison Crowder. You know, to put it that way, you need him on your team because he's a veteran. He's consistent. He he knows how to find the sticks. Um, you rarely see him drop balls. So you want to have that guy on a team, but not at the expense of taking a chance on getting a code number one in the draft. You know, we've, we've talked a lot already, you know, in, in five minutes or so here, we've talked a lot already about Kenny Galladay, but did you like that signing for the Giants? You know, despite the money, it was a lot of money, you know, in this market, a little bit more money maybe than I thought he would get. And I, I was a little bit surprised at, at actually the fourth year in the contract as as well, to be honest. But simply on the field for what he could do for Daniel Jones, do you like that signing, that fit, you know, for for this Giants offense? Sure. I mean, and first of all, it's not our money. So spend away. You know, in the second of <laughs> there second, you go. You know, second of all, um, I'm always team good players, right? So if you, there's no downside to signing and drafting good players. Galladay is a good player. He helps strengthen that receiving core, you know, helps slide guys down to more natural roles. So like I said, you have Slade, who I think is a glorified two or three that pushes him down to that two or three role. Um, Shepard could be your, your solid number two. And, and so it kind of helps balance out the passing game, in my opinion. So now you're having Darius Slayton probably draw a team's second or third best corner as opposed to a team's one, uh, which will definitely go to Galladay. 
and so on and so forth for Sterling Shepard. So you create better matchups for Slade and Shepard with the Galladay. So even if he doesn't go for 1,500 yards, him on the field helps Slade and Shepard do their job more consistently, in my opinion. All right, so let's let's spin off of the the Galladay free agency, uh, you know, sort of, sort of topic here, and, and let's get to something that uh, that that I found really interesting. One of the things that I have always admired about your work and about your draft analysis is that you are willing to to go out on a limb. I don't think you sit and read other scouting reports, you know, what other scouts are saying or thinking before you sit down and and do your own evaluations. Um what I've always admired is is you're willing to go out there on a limb and and give your own opinion. And that leads me to the mock draft that you did a few days ago for CBS Sports, where at number eleven you have the New York Giants taking an edge rusher. Which is not far-fetched, but the edge rusher you chose is not Gregory Rousseau of Miami. It's not Jalen Phillips of Miami. It's not Aziz Ojolari. It's not Quiddy Pay. The edge rusher that you have chosen for the Giants is Joe Tryon of Washington, who most people see as a third or fourth round pick. So all I'm going to say to you is, M, please explain. Well, here's the thing, and I'm glad you, uh, you know, phrase it that way or, or led into it that way, because when I go into watching film, right, um, I tend to go in alphabetical order by school. So, you know, you see, it, by the time I got to Tryon, I've seen virtually all the other pass rushers in the in the class, and so when I got to him, you, you forget guys, and I think a lot of people forgot. He he opted out, so he was out of sight, out of mind. So when I got to him, I had seen virtually every pass rusher in the class. And when people describe edge rushers and what they talk about, what they want in edge rushers, they want somebody long, they want somebody athletic, they want somebody that has twitch, they want somebody that's good on both ends of defense, they want someone that has upside. I'm like, well, damn, that looks like Joe Tryon. You know, and judging by how he finished 2019 – he he plays the game a lot like Montez Sweat. Now, here's the part that I just tend to, to get frustrated with when you think about the media side of things. Had Tryon played, everyone would be talking about him and putting him in their first round. So just like how everyone has put Pay, Russo, all these guys that everyone has spoken about at nauseum since last spring, they kind of carry that evaluation over. But to to your point, Ed, when you watch Quiddy Pay, you probably don't see a first round edge rusher. Now, no, I don't. That's yeah. that's the amazing thing. I don't I don't see it. I see a good player. I see an effort player, but I don't see a dynamic guy that's worth eleven. Bingo. And so you look at someone like Jalen Phillips. Phillips, I have as my number one four three defensive end. But Phillips, to me, is good on both ends. But I think he's not a good fit for what the Giants would want. Although he could potentially be an edge guy, I think he's better suited as a, you know, hand in the dirt defensive end. And I don't think that's the Giants, you know, forte. They want someone that they can use as a hired assassin, right? Um, although Phillips would be good. Rousseau, to me, is another guy when you watch on film, 
you you wonder like what everybody saw. I mean, yeah, he's tall. He had the one good sack game against Florida State, but you watch him over the course of multiple games and he disappears. He's just tall. And I see the same thing people 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 think love to have short memories in this in this draft cycle. Um in, in any draft cycle. Because the same people that, that talk about Rousseau as a you know first round pick, top fifteen pick, were the same ones that said uh, <laughs> uh Mingo would be Javon Curse. You don't hear that talk anymore. You know, just because a guy is tall and skinny doesn't mean he's gonna be a feared pass rusher. Russo has a lot of work to get done, and he really was just a redshirt freshman. So you have to really be patient. The Giants at pick eleven don't have that luxury of being patient. Um, and so that's why Russo wasn't a factor for me. Ojulari has, you know, good, you know, he, he's strong. Um, he only has that one move, number one, and he's not explosive. So I see him more as a sandbacker as opposed to an edge rusher, a guy that can drop in coverage, but also, you know, situationally you want rushing a passer. He can, you know, be strong versus the run. But in my opinion, watching Ojolari play, doesn't he kind of look like and play like Lorenzo Carter already? So why would you replicate that player opposite of of, of Carter? Um, so that brings me back to Tryon, twitched up, athletic. And if you if I were to tell Giants fans, hey, you can get Montez Sweat at pick eleven, they jump all over that. Um, but because the major media, quote unquote, is not talking about him, wait till after his pro day. March 30th is the Washington Huskies Pro Day. And when he tests through the roof, next thing you know, Daniel Jeremiah would tweet out, oh, wow, Tryon really tested well, and he should be talked about in the first round. Then all the little lemmings of draft Twitter will start to talk about that as well. And then next week, you'll the following week, you'll see Tryon jump into everybody's first-round mock drafts. If you pay attention to the draft Twitter and the draft cycle, that's how it goes. And, and it's funny because once one person tweets about Zach Wilson, now all of a sudden – Everything he did this year was is automatically better than anything Justin Fields did his entire career, and now he's a clear-cut number two quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence, all because one of the tastemakers tweeted out that Wilson is pretty good, and people are, are hung on that. But when Andre Ware talked about Wilson uh, after the Houston, during the Houston game, he had him as his QB2, everybody ripped Andre Ware only to see everybody come back to that uh, – point that he was trying to make that this dude could play so i'm not worried i i like to be wrong by myself than wrong in a group um and so yeah you people could bring up dwayne haskins but they'll forget about lamar jackson they'll forget about patrick mahomes they'll forget about the sean watson they'll forget about all the things that i was right about um so i have no problem and we still have to wait and see about haskins anyway because i think he's had an ideal spot now in uh pittsburgh so it is what it is to to answer your question in a long-winded way. Well, geez, got you got you a little worked up there, Em. Let me see. Yeah, I was taking just, notes. You used you used the phrase "little lemmings." You used tastemakers. You, you you took all kinds of pokes at the mainstream media. That that was good stuff, Em. It's good radio. Cause think about it. Think about this. I saw Giants. Some Giants fans uh, say there's well people. Here's the thing with a mock draft and. And by now, you know this, Ed, and I put this in my mock drafts every time that I do on football game plan. Uh, before we get it started, I always throw the mock draft rules out there. Like, you know, this is based off what I would do as a GM. There are no trades because when you try to do trades, it, it, the value doesn't make sense. And having trades in a mock draft is, is a selfish, self-serving 
for the creator of the mock draft because you want to get the ideal spots for players that you want to put in certain spots. So it is it's a selfish way of putting players where you want them to go. Um and so I don't do trades. It's based off what I would do, based off what I perceive the team needs are. Um, and it's just a mock draft. So it's a way to introduce prospects to people and fits and, you know, a good exercise to educate the masses on the players that are out there. So instead of us talking about the same 20 players for six months, hey, guys, there's 265 players that will be drafted or 262 or whatever the number may be. Let's talk about the draft as opposed to the 20 players because then you'll see people say in round three, well, why did we draft this guy? And then all of a sudden they'll pull up your scout report and you and they realize, wow, this guy is really good. So I, I, I love to play the long game with the draft, and that's why every time the Giants sign a, a Nico Lalos, I have something on them, you know, when people probably think I'm just wasting my time. Nah, you know, we're, we're, if we're talking draft, we're talking draft. And, I, well, and somebody, I, uh, somebody's got to do the dirty work, Kevin. Yeah, somebody's you know, somebody's got to do, do the work. And, and the trip part is, too, like if Giants fans, some Giants fans were upset about the Tryon pick, if we're keeping it a buck, and if Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or Justin Fields is on the board at 11, I should have gone there if we wanna, if we really want to have that conversation. You know, so um, that's the thing. I want to add the Giants a pass rusher that has a different skill set than Lorenzo Carter. And that's why I went with Tryon. Interesting, interesting stuff. And, you know, it's, uh, I always get a kick out of getting you worked up. So, uh, so that's, that's always, always fun to do. Hey, I did want to ask you, you know, Ojolari. Mm-hmm. Ojolari is one of my favorite guys in this draft when it comes to edge rushers. And the reason being, I think I see what you see where maybe he isn't the most explosive edge rusher, you know, among this group. I can see why people really like Jalen Phillips, although picking him either at 11 or 42 makes me nervous. The thing I like about Ojolari is that I, I see an easy fit with Patrick Graham because I see a guy that can go forward and backward and, you know, and play both in the short areas of coverage as well as, as going forward and, and maybe developing as a, as a, a useful pass rusher. I mean, it just, just talk a little bit more about what you see in Ojolari and, and if you think he's a guy that might, might fit with the Giants. Well, I, you know, again, he's a very good player at the line of scrimmage. Um, so, and I think when people look at his wingspan, they're looking at it from a sack perspective, but you got to look at his wingspan from a run defense perspective. You know, that's terrible for you know, uh, an opposing offense to deal with a guy on, and when you're trying to run away from him, that he has the ability to really reach that backside uh, run play because he can collapse and extend with his, with his length. So he's very good at the line of scrimmage. He, he uses that length really well in the run game. Um, and he does have the wingspan to be active at the line of scrimmage if the ball is, if he can't get back there as a sack, you know, he gets his hands up and bats at the line of scrimmage. But I just think that, um, you know, from an explosiveness standpoint, and considering how athletic everyone is at the NFL level, you know, that could be an issue where if you don't have a variety of ways to get to the quarterback, you could struggle there. Um, and without the, that top tier explosiveness, you didn't really see him dominate games at Georgia. 
you know, and, and that's the thing with pass rushers. You want to see someone that is a problem. Uh, if you're, especially if you're talking about first round pass rushers. So you could look at someone like Ojalari and you could, I, I can find a Lorenzo Carter or a O'Shane Zimenez and see the same player. So having three of the same type of player would be the concern because it's like, it's like having your receiving core with all Sterling Shepherds, you know? Uh, so I think the Giants already have Aziz Ojolari on the roster, but the things that he does do well, yeah, you want at the point of attack. For instance, I graded him as an 80 grade, uh, which is what I would consider that first round type grade. Um, so, but for me, it's like, you know, what else do you provide? So he's my third outside linebacker behind Zayvon Collins of Tulsa and Jeremiah Owusu Koromora out of Notre Dame. Uh, both of which do things differently. Like Collins has excellent coverage skills and can play all three backer spots. Um, so he can play on the, on the inside as a big, tall inside backer. Um, I like Carl Banks or play on the outside as a good coverage backer. And Owusu Koromora from Notre Dame is twitched up. So when you got that twitchiness and that athleticism, you, you can project him a little bit better. But that doesn't mean Ojalara is not a good player. I just think that the Giants have two Aziz Ojolari's already on the roster. You mentioned the name of a guy that I love. I love Zayvon Collins. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's a guy that you should have in a conversation at 11, but I think that, that he brings at that size, 6'4, 260, with that kind of athleticism, the ability to play off ball, the ability to play on the edge. You know, he, he brings something unique and, uh, and I just, I really like the kid. Yeah. He, he, you remember this, Ed. Remember how good Julian Peterson was, um, at linebacker when he was coming out of Michigan State and the, the 49ers had him and he was just like, man, this big tall dude and, um, could cover, can, you know, pressure, can play the run. Um, that's what Zayvon Collins is. And when you have the ability to, to literally, drop back in coverage zone like you're a safety and be excellent in that regard, man, it, it gives you so much flexibility. So, and you know me, I don't care where, where, uh, where you take players as long as they're good. So yeah, if Zayvon Collins was the pick, I mean, listen, you could play him on the inside. He's already going to be your best inside linebacker. You play him on the outside. He's a good compliment because he can cover. Um, and he gives you a little bit more flexibility. Now you can get a situation where you get Lorenzo Carter, Zeminis, you know, and also Collins on the field at the same time. Even a guy like Cam Brown, who started to play well later in the season and getting more reps. So you get more versatile uh, with what you have. And, you know, I, t- listen, I wouldn't – I think the only area where he has to probably show growth is – being a pass rusher, you know, I, I don't think he's not much of a pass rusher, despite having pass rusher type build. I think he's more of this, that big coverage backer uh, that plays a run really well. that has great instincts. Although if you blitz him from, you know, from a middle linebacker spot, I really wouldn't want to be a 210 pound running back trying to stop that train coming through. <laughs> right. That's, that's when you see these running backs uh, speaking from experience, someone that big coming down here, you're like, all right, I'm going to try to cut block up because I'm not going to try to butt up and, and get trucked in the process. Um, you're oh, right. Come That's, on, yep. M. You're going to take the easy way. Absolutely. Most backs will try to take that easy way. Like that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Imagine seeing someone like Erlacher blitzing downhill and you, you know, my size trying to, you know, 
butt up a, a guy like Erlach and they got a head start and hit. No, that's not going to work. <laughs> oh, um, uh, yeah, but you're right. It's not going to work. <laughs> and let, let me let me do this. Let me take a quick break here for a word from our sponsors at SB Nation. When I come back, uh, a couple of other positions of need for the Giants that that I want to get into. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Giants fans, Ed Valentine back here on the Valentine's Views podcast. And I'm speaking with Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan. As we talk about the Giants, we talk a little bit about free agency and its impact on the draft. And we've been going through some of the, uh, some of the possibilities at number 11. Couple of positions that we haven't really talked about, M. And one of the things that I say with Dave Gettleman is, one of the tells with Gettleman as far as where to look, as far as what the Giants might do in the draft, is what doesn't get done in free agency. And really what hasn't gotten done for the Giants in free agency is the offensive line and to a lesser extent uh, the defensive line where, you know, where they need to supplement that group after, after losing Dalvin Tomlinson. So first I want to talk about, about the, uh, the offensive line. Um, the, the guy that I love at 11, you know, that I think might still be there. I, I love Rashawn Slater because I think he could play, he could, he could play guard for them. He could play right tackle for them. Are, are you a, are you a Slater guy? Yeah, I like Slater as well because of what you mentioned. You talk about, you know, having and we know how the NFL works, man. It's it's not like college where you could just stack talent and depth across the board. You really gotta maximize your fifty three or forty six on game day, which is dumb in my opinion. Um but if you get a guy that can do multiple things, geez, especially at, at you know, at that position at the along the offensive line, you grab him ten times out of ten. And because he's able to play guard or tackle um, and because he's good on both ends of offense, because he has the athleticism, he actually matches what the Giants are looking for in their offensive line. We saw them hammer that home last year with the, the trinity of, of prospects they brought in. All had the same key trait, athleticism, footwork, and that's Rashawn Slater. So don't be surprised. I'm glad you brought him up. It wouldn't surprise me if he is still on the board. That's where they go. Yeah, I would actually love that pick to be honest with you. I before the Giants signed Adoree Jackson, which didn't surprise me that they signed him. The money surprised me, but like you said, it's it's not your money, it's not my money. It's John Mara's money, so they can spend it however they want. <laughs> right. But, and we know the we know the salary cap doesn't make doesn't exist. You know, that is that is one that. thing. It 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 is a salary cap. It is there and and fans tend to obsess about it. But what I tell people is don't worry about it because if, if, if a team wants a certain player, it doesn't matter what the salary cap says. They'll figure out a way to make it happen because there's all sorts of bonus tricks and, 
and voidable year tricks and restructuring other contracts and all of that. The Saints have had $5 in salary cap space for the last decade, and they've been able to sign everybody they wanted to with $5. (laughs) Pretty much. You know, it. it's just – it's not worth worrying about because if teams want guys – I mean, the Giants had zero money according to the salary cap. They had nothing. You know, they had, they had, you know, they had a few pennies in their pockets and, and they, and they gave, you know, Leonard Williams, Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson about a gazillion dollars and still signed some other guys. So the salary cap is pretty meaningless. And they've done a good, I mean, listen. We talked about this last year, how good the defense was and the, the reason why the defense kind of almost got these guys in the playoffs by themselves. But the offensive line was vastly improved. They got younger. They got better. And this team on paper today is at least, at worst, an 8-18. Eight and 18. So now you go back into the draft with more of a sniper's approach, an assassin approach, going to get specific target guys to help round out the roster. And, and that's why you can, you can kind of use the draft is how you build your team for sustained success. But the free agency part of it is how you, you know, quickly fix your fix holes to where you can go and get targeted players in the draft and not take as many quote unquote crap shoots. Right. And you know what I did want to ask you, we talked about, we talked about Slater. Um, just give me, you know, maybe, some other offensive line guys, I think maybe particularly guys you think could play either guard or tackle. So we might be talking about, you know, tackle conversion kind of guys, but other guys in this draft who might fit what the Giants, you know, what the Giants would look for and, and could at least maybe provide some, some depth and some competition because I look at the Giants and, and I'm, I'm still bullish on Andrew Thomas. I don't care what his rookie season looked like. I think the coaching was a bit of a mess in, in the rookie season in, you know, last season. And I think that, you know, you're ta- you're asking a kid to play left tackle and, and protect a, a young quarterback with no training camp, with no off season. He probably spent a lot of his off season you know, prepping to play right tackle until Nate Solder opted out. So I, I just think there were a lot of things working against Andrew Thomas. I happen to really want to see Matt Parrott get an opportunity to play right tackle, but I'm worried about the Giants guard situation because I watched Shane Lemieux play last year and I don't know what his issue is in pass protection, but when he misses a pass block, he really misses a pass block. And Will Hernandez has really never been more than adequate. So I think I'd really like to see them add some, some depth or some, some competition there. So just give me your take maybe on the Giants offensive line and some guys you think might, uh, you might be able to supplement that group. Well, first of all, you can clearly see there's a depth issue there, right? Um, because we're talking about Parrott, Thomas and Lemieux, two, three rookies. Uh, Slate is the start. You know, I think Lemieux is probably going to get, end up starting on the right side, probably next to Parrott. Um, but the good part is, is that he can play either, you know, guard spot. And you're right. Will Hernandez is quietly, 
outside the the you know the splash he made as a rookie vacating space for Saquon Barkley um he just really hasn't taken that next step so if you're looking at interior linemen I'm a big fan of Aaron Banks number one uh out of Notre Dame I when you watch Notre Dame play this dude is just like legitimately moving dudes from position to position like he's taking defensive tackles and turning them into safeties that's how far back he's blowing these dudes off the ball Tristan Hodge out of BYU and the reason why people love Zach Wilson is and they say wow he you know, he got all kind of time back there. Oh, yeah, he has all day to throw because he has three NFL linemen up front. And when you look at the guard play, Hodge was clearing space for Algeri, the running back. So he's great, too. And he was a former Notre Dame guy that transferred to BYU. Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC and Robert Jones of Middle Tennessee State, as well as Royce Newman of Ole Miss, are more along the lines of what you're talking about. They are great players as guards. But they also have the ability to play tackle. So Elijah Vera Tucker played left tackle last year, and you would have thought that he played there, you know, his entire career. That's how comfortable he looked. But he's more of a guard. Robert Jones is a right tackle at Middle Tennessee, and was he's an aggressive player. Like, I love the way he takes the fight to the defensive lineman. He takes aggressive pass sets. Um, so he's going to get his hands on you first and, and really box with you there. But he can play inside at guard. I think he's, you know, better inside as a guard. He's six four through thirty, kind of like that Ben Grubbs type guard. But he also has experience playing right tackle. Royce Newman played, you know, left tackle and you know played across the line for Ole Miss. But he's better as a guard. And so now you have guys that have the ability to play on the outside, but project better, in my opinion, on the inside. But they give you some people that they give you guys that have the athleticism, the footwork. But the guard mentality of being able to win in confined spaces. So if the Giants, it, again, it wouldn't surprise me to see them go with, like you said, a Slater in round one and maybe double back on that position um, again. Because, again, there's a depth issue there. Uh, so you want to get better. Gates is, is a fixture at center. He played well at center. Um, we know Thomas was a first-round pick. They're going to give him every opportunity. I'm with you. I'm bullish on Thomas. Parrot is a guy that they like, and he was a he was a raw athletic talent. So you like the upside, um, but guard I like Lemieux, but I do think they can bring in you know at least two more players at guard, one for competition for Lemieux, but another to be the eventual replacement for Will Hernandez. All right, and the other position that I think we need to talk about here, last one that we really kind of need to go through is the is the interior of the defensive line. Obviously, Giants lost Dalvin Tomlinson in free agency. And and my take on losing Dalvin Tomlinson was when I look at the contract that Tomlinson got in Minnesota, I think it's two years, $22 million, 15 or $16 million guaranteed. The way it was structured, I think the Giants could have done that. When you consider the money that they allocated to to Kyle Rudolph and and some other guys, they could have done that, but they chose, in my mind, to spend that money in a different way. And, and I'm fine with that as much as I would have liked to have had Tomlinson. They're bringing back Austin Johnson, who's an, who's a a good enough run stuffer, but a little bit like we talk about the offensive line there becomes a bit of a depth issue. And they're also, you know, my understanding of it is there there aren't a ton of defensive tackles 
in this class, you know, guys, guys that you'd really want to go after. Can you just give me, you know, can you give me three or four guys? You know, the Giants have this, have this long running history of, of drafting a lot of these defensive tackle type guys on day two. So I guess that's what I'm looking for because that seems to be their sweet spot. You know, three or four guys that might be day two targets, you know, that can play in the middle of that defensive line for the Giants. Well, to your point, it may not be the best defensive tackle class, but it is a very strong nose tackle class. And, you know, the Giants probably got their hands on my football game plan scouting draft guide and noticed that, hey, it's a really good nose tackle class. So we can kind of let Tomlinson go and um, have our eyes set on guys in the second round. Like nice nice plug there, Em. Nice it all ties together, Ed. It all ties together. <laughs> 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 you look at my number one nose tackle, Alim McNeil out of North Carolina State, and I like him because how he is able to split double teams. That's a skill in and of itself. You know, guys really don't handle double teams well uh, for the most part, and he has that ability. And, you know, the NFL is not about to teach you technique. You got to have that coming in or you got to work on that on your own in the offseason because uh, it's all scheme at the NFL level. But McNeil has that skill set. Um, he was really dominant at North Carolina State. You can also look at Tyler Shelvin, who opted out this year, but you draw up nose tackle in the dictionary and you're going to get a picture of, of Tyler Shelvin because this dude legitimately makes life miserable for, for whoever's double teaming that day because they won't get to the second level because he does not move, man. He is like traffic at the Lincoln Tunnel in rush hour. It is not going <laughs> anywhere, bro. And so he's someone that I think uh, people will probably start to hear more of toward you know, the Tigers pro day or even the draft. Um, and also there's a couple of guys, Kentucky has their pro day on today, actually. But you look at guys like Quentin Bohannon, uh, you know, who's excellent, 6'4", 357, has some quickness with them as well, can be a, a nose tackle, but can also apply that pressure as a one-gap penetrator. Uh, to Daryl Slayton out of Florida, Jared Goldwire of Louisville. These are guys that have the ability to not only anchor at the point of attack, but become that one gap penetrator. So you kind of add a little bit of what Dexter Lawrence brings to the table with any one of these nose tackles outside of uh, Shelvin and McNeil. All right, Em, I think that uh, I think that's a good place for us to stop. Why don't you go ahead and uh, I know you've got your draft guide out. I know you mentioned it a little bit there a couple minutes ago, but let people know where they can get that, where they can uh, and, and where they can find your your work these days. They can follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. They can pick up a copy of the draft guide, which has over 570 individual prospect scouting reports. So just like last year when you didn't know who the hell Nico Lalos was, well, there was a scouting report on Nico Lalos in my 2020 draft guide. So you can pick it up at FootballGamePlan.com slash 2021 draft guide. You can catch me on CBS Sports HQ, uh, talking draft and talking football, college and pro. And uh, always subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash football game plan. If you have, you can check with your cable provider for channel listings for Game Plus Network because every Thursday we have our Scout Team TV show where we break down draft prospects and talk about the draft. Um, and that is every Thursday evening at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Check your local cable provider for channel listings. And, and as I've said, folks, if uh, – 
If, if you're really tired of NFL draft analyst groupthink, you've got to check out Emery's work because you're definitely not getting groupthink. And I always love the conversation. It's not like, let's say if someone dis- disagrees, Ed, it's not like I'm upset. I expect people to have disagreements because we can't all be sitting here thinking the same way. But it get, it's the way people approach you as the, you know, hey, man, why did you have Tryon at 11? What, what is it about him that you like better than what I've seen? Instead of saying, you're an idiot for having Tryon. Everybody else has him going in the third round. Like that will not elicit a response, but the first one will definitely elicit a conversation. And hopefully you can get a better idea of where I'm coming from, from a, you know, from a prospect standpoint. All right, Em. As always, I thank you for, for coming on. Giants fans, thank you very, very much for listening. Please remember, take care of each other out there. Stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye now.